Dion, no. The legend is gone, man. George Romero? Wow. That's your boy, Marvin. Just had to call you, man. It's pretty crazy. My wife just told me. All right, man. Peace. Very special, yes. Installment, a very, a very um, impromptu. Impromptu, yeah. We we rushed, we, we rushed felt over. Obligated to say something. Yeah, very sad. It's uh, we uh, recently. I'm Jay Blake, and this is I'm Dion Baia. Dion Baia. And this and is uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Just a couple of days ago, we got the very sad news that someone that was very important to us and influential to us passed away, and so we felt like maybe it was. Uh, we felt obligated that we should jump on mic and talk a little bit about about him. Yeah, uh, and not so much a, a, a film in particular, but I guess his body of work. Yeah, well, it's also it's kind of fitting because my love of George Romero, who we're talking about today, who is uh, passed away earlier this week at the age of seventy-seven. Yeah, uh, is very much linked to you and our friendship. Like, I really wasn't that familiar. I mean, I obviously had heard of Night of the Living Dead, and I knew of Creepshow and stuff like that, but I hadn't really seen any of the films until I got to film school. And your love for his zombie movies was kind of my introduction to his zombie movies. And then right around that same time, kind of separately, we both saw Martin Yeah, for the first time. <clears throat> and that's become one of my favorite films. Uh, almost instantly from yeah. the moment we saw it. Like, I just completely fell in love with it. Uh, so our our twenty our our friendship, which started just, just about 20 years ago, yeah. was kind of my introduction to the world of George Romero. And so uh, glad that, we, you know, we'll get to talk, even if it's just briefly, about him together. Because yeah. it's uh, kind of, they're intertwined for me. It's an end of an era. I had... Um a voicemail uh, when he passed away on the Sunday. Um, I forget what date Sunday was. Uh, maybe the 15th or 16th. And uh, a friend of mine I hadn't talked to in about 10 to 15 years left me a voicemail. And it's my friend Marvin, who I've brought up on the cast before, who was the friend I used to go over his house and we would draw together. Yeah, yeah. And we would watch horror together. And he schooled me to like t- Tales from the Crypt because he had HBO. So he'd tape them. We'd watch the Tales from the Crypt episodes. And we watched uh, all the dead films together. He was a fan of Return of the Living Dead, and I liked Night of the Living Dead. And then we watched Dawn of the Dead together, Day of the Dead together. I think I even watched Creep Show with him for the first time together. So we had grown up together. Uh, and then the remake of Night of the Living Dead that Tom Savini directed, we had grown up together uh, with Romero. And it's funny having him call me randomly at like 11 o'clock at night. He's like, Dion, the master's dead. He's passed. I'm George yeah. Romero. Hope you're okay. I'll talk to you later. And it was just really like... Wow, you know, it's a, it is the end of an era because I immediately thought of him too. I was like, wow, I should tell Marvin, but then my own uh, misgivings was just like, oh, well, man, you know, maybe be awkward to just call him and say <laughs> that. But then he yeah, must have he, thought the same thing, but and he did it. Yeah. yeah, so it's 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 sad, and I have yeah, I've grown gone back many years with uh, Mr. Romero, and certainly I think his dead films were probably out of his whole catalog were the things that made 
probably the most impact on me. Sure. But certainly up there again, also Creep Show, and uh, and then, like you said, when you and I became friends, and then explored some of his um, his career, and when we saw Martin, Martin is such a great the yeah. 1978 movie, such a great movie as well, and uh, it is sad. It's 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 a sad passing because it's one of these people like a Wes Craven, you know, sure. or. You know, um, a John uh, Carpenter or something. You know, <laughs> don't say that. You know, yeah. If, if <laughs> there's no, there's no wood around. Yeah, you have to knock. Uh, if if you I don't know if pass. I could take it, I would literally, when God forbid, part Carpenter passed away, I'm gonna have to like take time off of work. Yeah, of course. It's just so. It's just um, you don't really realize the impact I guess these people have. But I guess you hear that with anything in life. People who die, you know, you don't realize until they're gone. Yeah. You well, know. you know, it's that's kind of the beautiful thing about art, in general. Is that they, it does make such a such an impact on uh, each of us, you know, and, and in such specific ways, and also at that time of our lives, late teens into early twenties, is such a formative. Yeah, Blake and I met each other in film school. The day one we were paired together. I think people who listen to the cast frequently know that. But like first day together, 19, freshman year, nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah, we were roommates. End of August. Yeah, we came together, and, and not only were we both going into film school together, but, but we were also roommates. We also lived together. Yeah. So we um, spent a lot of time together. Yes, a lot of time <laughs> together. So we got to know each other pretty quickly, and um, I think. As we talked about in other casts, we came into film school with a lot of shared interests. Um, we had shared interest in music, movies, but then also our other interests kind of blossomed together where you immediately kind of took an interest into uh, expanding your knowledge of horror cinema. Yeah, yeah. And same with me to a certain extent. And then the, a lot of the movies that you were looking or we were looking to look at, we viewed yeah, for the first sure. time together. I mean, that's exactly yeah. kind of what I meant by that. They're kind of intertwined. Like, yeah. Sure, we had things that we both loved going into it and some of that stuff we shared and some of that stuff you know, we didn't. But then there are all these things that we influenced each other like. Yeah. Like, you, like you introducing me to the dead films and... Uh, you introduced or, me to Sabbath, oh, yeah. <laughs> Black Sabbath, you know, <laughs> or us just kind of discovering Clapton. together at the same time. Yeah, so passing women around to each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's <laughs> terrible. Uh, but uh, George Romero is a figure that um, there's been very, for me specifically, uh, been different points in my life. Martin being a big one, and then, and I. I don't know if I told this story ever on our show. Uh, and we also probably talked a lot about the dead films in our zombie podcast, the Lucio Fulci. Yeah, we did a podcast zombie. on Lucio Fulci zombie that we did a couple years ago. And we probably did talk a little bit about like the history of the modern zombie or just zombies in general in and cinema. And before we go forward, we should probably plug that you were on Wrong Reel last year and you did the catalog of Romero, but I guess you kind of didn't. Yes, we did. Uh, I was with James Hancock on the Wrong Reel podcast. This was October of 2016. And we did a pretty comprehensive, like, probably close to, like, three-hour discussion uh, on the works of George Romero. We, Of course, you can't talk about Romero without discussing the dead films to a certain extent, but uh, because we knew that those films are talked about so much, we really focused on the nod and zombie films. And I think that's actually a, a pretty good idea because a lot of people will... Uh, forget or overlook his other non-zombie or dead films. Yeah, so you know. we we got pretty. I'm actually very proud of that podcast because I felt it did highlight a whole 
career's worth of material that not a lot of people talk about. Yeah. Because it's unfortunate that he was such a great and gifted filmmaker uh, that got kind of pigeonholed with the dead films uh, in a certain respect. So we talked a lot about, uh, you know, uh, Season of the Witch, which was a film that watching it for that kind of... I developed like a whole different respect for Marrow. It's such an interesting, unique, weird movie. No affiliation it, to the Halloween three movie as well. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. completely so way yeah. before. It's about ten years before that. Um, and it's a, it's you know if if you look at Romero's films and you say Night of the Living Dead is uh, you know a little bit of social commentary about r- racism and and stuff like that. In the early seventies, he makes a movie called Season of the Witch, which has other titles. Um, that it's been released under uh, and forgive me for not knowing them at this moment, but that's his like feminist movie Mm. and to have like this guy, this man make a real feminist statement movie somewhat under the guise of a horror movie. I mean, it's not really a horror movie. Uh, There's a little bit of, of, there's a little bit of supernatural aspect of it in that she, joins like a coven of witches but this is not like a horror movie in the way most people think of horror movies but it's such a weird and bizarre and totally unique movie and uh watching it it was it was a real kind of eye-opener to the crazies which watching the crazies really is watching it at that time revisiting all these movies in such a short amount of time in like a week span you watch the crazies and you're like wow this really is almost like the unknown sequel to night of the living dead yeah you know there's so it's in the same it's in evan city pennsylvania where night of the living dead was shot and though it's a different kind of quote-unquote zombie or monster or whatever it 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 does it plays very much like it could be a sequel to night of the living dead before years before dawn of the he makes dawn of the dead uh so yeah we talked about all these films all the way up through maybe land of the dead um and even I talk about Bruiser a little bit, but uh, I have I love his non dead movies. I mean, I love Night of the Living Dead and I love Day of the Dead and and I like Dawn of the Dead a lot. But Martin's my favorite of his films. Obviously, Creepshow's classic, but I, I really love Monkey Shines. <laughs> yeah, that's a really messed up movie as well. And the dark half dark is half really is interesting. A, yeah. I mean, it kind of falls about at the, apart at the end. And you can actually read a little bit about that in my book, because Christopher Young, who I interviewed for my book, scored to death he scored that movie and he talks a little bit about the troubles with the studio and financing and stuff towards the end of the movie. So there's, there's things that happen. And Ramiro was doing that right at the same time that Savini was remaking night of living yeah. dead. So there was a lot of that. If people don't know that tension where they didn't talk for a little while because Savini felt like he got kind of blackballed doing the remake at night and didn't have the support of Romero. But like you're saying, Romero was dealing with his own crap. Yeah, doing the yeah. dark half. The he also time. had apparently had uh, something happen where he, Something got sick around that time, too. Romero. Yeah. Like, he lost the hearing in, like, one ear or sight in one eye. Like, something happened that sounded like, man, that's pretty devastating. And I can't remember if it was a temporary thing or not, but that's one of the reasons why he was kind of really hands-off with the score, according to Chris Young. Um, And also, Knight Riders is a film that I love a lot. I mean, I feel like it's really really unique. It's really long, and I feel like it could be shorter. That's kind of the way Romero rolls, man. <laughs> no yeah. pun intended, but uh, I really love Night Riders. It's such a such a beautiful, 
odd, unique movie. Uh, so all these movies have really made a huge impact on me. And when we graduated from film school and I was, uh, still had dreams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My dreams weren't shattered yet. Uh, I wanted to, this was on the cusp of the whole remake thing. Yeah, you were looking to. One, I wanted to make a zombie movie, but two, I wanted to. Before re- zombie movies were a thing, yeah, you and like I. Like before Resident Evil in, in came yeah. out. You and I were, we were smoking cigarettes about- in the back of my yard at like midnight <laughs> when you were sleeping over. And we were talking about, you know what's going to be next? And we were watching, I think, from like from the beyond, right? The beyond? Yeah, we probably were watching the beyond. And we paused really it over a cigarette to- and you're like, you know what's going to be next? A zombie movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump on that. And uh, but I really wanted to make remake Martin. Yeah, so I contacted. I remember this George Romero's people through the uh, the Directors Guild of America and said I want to make remake this movie. And so I got word from George Romero that he was he was all he was a way into it, but he wanted to write this. He wanted to write the script for the remake. Yeah, but he he would love for it to be remade, but he didn't own the rights. So I had to. Uh, Rubenstein, I forget the the two brothers. One is the composer of the music for Martin. Because this is back around two thousand three or four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this is like two thousand one. Oh, okay. This is like really we just graduated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I contacted them, and they were had. Uh, I think they were in the wor- in the works of remaking Dawn of the Dead. Like it was, might have been announced already. Yeah. And I talked to somebody that worked there, like a assistant vice president or something and the the it came the it was a really interesting discussion but it came to like why do you want to remake it and like what can you bring to it because like enthusiasm isn't enough so obviously it never happened yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's not the unseen film that the world has never seen but uh it's living on a shelf that was my rare brush with george romero but we had a lot of i mean personally we've met uh we, we met Russo. Then we meet what's his face. Uh, we met Russo and uh, uh, Russ uh, Steiner. Steiner, yeah. Who were the producers of the original Night of the Living Dead? And then uh, we met Savini. We hung out with Savini for a little while once uh, at, a, at a convention too. Yeah. Um, who didn't work on the original Night? And but he's then in Martin. He's in Martin. Did the effects for Martin. And yeah, and then Dawn everything and else. Yeah, day and Creep stuff. Show. And Night Riders. And, he's, uh, in, he's great in Night Riders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a pretty good actor. He's actually yeah. like the best. Part of gives the best performance. Yeah. I mean, and you know, Ed Harris is great in it too, but Savini is actually like shockingly good. <laughs> gives a shockingly good performance in Night Riders. Yeah, so we have all these weird, um, like backdoor affiliations to Romero, you know. And it's it's just it's amazing to think of a guy who, I mean, you have all the other horror auteurs out there, but like he kind of like uh, pioneered an entire genre now of you know, and that's really weird. I mean, yeah. you can kind of, I mean, if certainly zombie and dead films existed prior to him but he really kind of put it back on the map and then you know there were scores of imitators into the 80s when he lost sure. the copyright and then now with the resurgence of the in the early odds of zombie movies i think if you take a like a film critic or film uh scholarly look at night of the living dead I, and i've said this before and i might have said it in the cast the, the episode we did about lucio fulci zombie I think that you could, it'd be hard to argue against the fact that Night of the Living Dead is probably one of the most influential American films of all time, if not just of the last half of the 20th century. Yeah. 
because one, it creates the zombie genre, like the modern zombie subgenre of horror, which, you know, like you said, created imitators, but then also creates, you know, it's ex- it directly creates walk- the Walking Dead yeah, on the television. zombie soap opera we have on TV. Now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that is exactly kind of ripped out of the clutches of yeah. George Romero. But at the same time, to make a thought-provoking, low-budget horror movie that was successful in 1969 absolutely influenced an entire generation of filmmakers to do their own films. Yeah, he, I, I, I'm almost certain if you were to ask George Romero about the importance of... I mean, uh, Martin Scorsese, for yeah. instance, about like the importance of, of Night of the Living Dead. Dead, I'm sure he would say that in some way, like Mean Streets... <laughs> yeah, came out of that. I mean, because uh, at the same at the, at that time, a lot of horror horror had certainly declined in America, and you had Hammer and stuff. But a lot of the horror, if you think about it, it was all like existential. It was you know you, European, you know, or it was overseas in England. You didn't really have a lot of domestic non-period horror sure. films. So you take a horror movie that is shot in black and white, which was a at the time people had color, but it was a purposeful choice because. Uh, a lot of the newsreel footage they were getting home from Vietnam was black and white. Yeah. So people were very used to seeing black and white. That and I'm also you know, sure f- just for like color temperature, like technical reasons, yeah. it's an easier format. But as an artistic choice, like totally, because you know, it does so much of that film is it's almost like a documentary, you know, and documentary. Yeah. Feel and, and you stuff. and then you, you, you inject into it, you know, uh, have your lead actor be an African-American in the time. And I think at a at yeah, the time of, of it to be happening where you know there was a legendary thing where uh, going back to World War II that uh, black people would say like you're, the two V's you're fighting the two fronts were you know the victory at war when they're fighting overseas for their country but then they're trying to fight at home for just you know freedom and that would lead to a lot of people like, why do I like Cassius Clay uh, with Muhammad Ali why do I want to go to war fight for this country when the, the country doesn't even respect me yeah, yeah. so you know and then it, it interjects a lot of that uh, s- that subtext of the the civil sure. rights, you know, and and it also highlights the you had all that enthusiasm of the fifties that was kind of destroyed when Kennedy was killed, and then you have that like what's going to happen, and that's kind of all you know idealized and in, in, into this movie yeah. in this, and it's very frightening. I mean, to this day, I, I this is a movie Night of Living Dead. I mean, I think I was introduced to the zombie genre uh, by way of Michael Jackson with Thriller. Sure. And, uh, I think know, a lot of people from our yeah, generation probably were. You know, and you see that Thriller video by John Landis, scared the shit out of me. And then for years, and then after that, my next immediate was uh, Vincent Price doing Last Man on Earth, which was a remake of uh, I Am Legend, which is a Richard Matheson book uh, story that Romero says was a very yeah. big influence on him doing Night of the Living Dead. So by the time I see Night of the Living Dead, I saw the remake, and the remake scared the poops out of me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was so scary. To this day, I still am kind of frightened of that remake. But I've always, as you know, I've always lived near cemeteries growing yeah. up, and, <laughs> and I've always had eye lines through my bedroom window of cemeteries. So I saw the remake of Night of the Living Dead, and then one night, late at night, they played the original, and I watched the original black and white one, and f- it scared me so much that, like... I think for the next month and a half, every night when I went to bed, I thought zombies were going to come get me. Like one of these childhood yeah. phobias where I was scared to go to sleep. I wouldn't tell anybody, whatever, because I could look out my window and see the damn cemetery. Sure. So one night I finally said to myself, you know what? If they're going to come, they're going to come tonight. And then they never came. And then I kind of got over it. But it was just so it's and even if you go back to that original Night of the Living Dead movie, it's just so frightening. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, it just, it, the effects to a certain extent hold up, the paranoia, um, the asp, the, the, the kind of like completely realistic and um, heartbreaking ending. Sure. You know, and it's just. That and like, it's such like a weird metaphorical ending. The, the imagery of those still shots and things. Which will harken back to a lot of the, in the, in the teens and 20s, you'd had a lot of public lynchings of yeah, African-Americans exactly. down south, and you'd see these horrible pictures of, and, it, and it hark, those pictures the, over the end credits harken a lot, and really back to from everything that. I read, Romero always really played down the fact that they cast uh, an African-American. Dwayne, Dwayne Jones, I think his name was. You know, as the hero, it's like he was just the best actor that we knew. Yeah. But he's not a stupid guy. Even if that was really the reason why he got the well, role. Well, I think once they started, you know, you know he was not because he was not stupid. We have to remember he that. He knew the implications once it started happening. And the movie started out as like Night of the Flesh Eaters was the original title. And I don't think they even had a finished script. So when they started shooting, they didn't really know they had maybe a, uh, um, a what do you call that, a... a uh, an overview or, of, or like a sure. treatment. So I think when they were on set developing a lot of these nuanced things, I think that's when it came to prominence of like, yeah. hey, you know, we should not capitalize on this, but this is definitely something we should, you know, sure. keep taking the mind. And then when you have that startling ending where um, Romero says himself, like it, the ending didn't change because the actor was black. If it was a white actor, it would have ended the same way and it would have just been as... Just meant something different. Yeah, it meant something completely different to have him, you know, die in such a way at the end of the movie and then you see that uh, the, over the credits the stills that are just it's horrifying yeah. and I mean you take out all the racial aspects of it it's just such a messed up and sad ending where it's just like you go through this entire journey with this guy sure and then at the end of it you know you're like, like gee it's all for nothing yeah yeah you know and then you think about like uh, then not knowing what the heck this is you're going to like a like a two two movie drive-in to see two movies and this is on the bill and you just think of people like eating their popcorns in their cars and how free they must have been <laughs> to see something. You've, you know, this is yeah. kind of like like you're saying. It's completely new. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it pioneers a genre that we're still talking about it, what, 50 years later, you know? And it's bigger now than ever, yeah. arguably. And it only be, and, and also, he lost the copyright because he had copyrighted Revenge, uh, Night of the Flesh Eaters. And then when they... F- changed the title of the night of the living dead they forgot to copyright that and then so i guess five or ten years after so he lost the he lost yeah he, he loses lost the rights and, and lost mil- trillions yeah of dollars. and that's why you'd have these really <laughs> but, shitty copies available. but always kind of seemed to have a decent attitude about it yeah i didn't become bitter about it but i think it also in a way kind of helped them it's kind of like um it's a wonderful life that went up uh, in public domain yeah. in the seventies, and because of that, everybody played it on TV at Christmas time, and that's the reason why that movie now is a cult, a Christmas classic. Yeah. So I think it kind of benefited him, but at the same time, like you said, you know, he didn't make any money from all these. Uh, you know, you can walk into a gas station and get a shitty copy of it, or you had Return of the Living Dead, sure. this of the Living Dead, the, the, the you know Living Dead Toast, you know, all these <laughs> movies or the Living Bread. You know, it's like in terms of influence, even outside of the zombie uh, genre. For instance, because I recently rewatched Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. Because I did another Wrong Rail episode about John Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, because we had such a good time with the Romero episode, we decided to do kind of the same format with John Carpenter. Your boy. Uh, and, you know, I have undying love for John Carpenter. But uh, Carpenter talks how it's this remake of Rio Bravo. It's this remake of Rio Bravo. If you watch it, it is not a remake of Rio Bravo. It is a remake of Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> yeah, even yeah. to the point, even the yeah, you're like even the, like the the gangs are just a yeah, they're just a different form of the of zombies the, of the zombies and what brings the zombies to the 
brings the gang to the fire to the police station is the father of the girl yeah. and he kills one of them but when he gets to the station he's barbara yeah i mean he's he's out of it he's, he's out of it he can't talk like he's as useless as marvin and then these people are like forced to kind of hold down the fort and protect this guy yeah, and they don't know why even you know and it's also you know we talk about him inventing this genre you know prior to night of living dead you had you know zombie films but they were always like down in the caribbean voodoo you had like white zombie bale lugosi you had yeah. i walked with a zombie some so, the people being controlled yeah by like a some kind of voodoo map some kind of master like and they become it's very much of the of the voodoo religion where you become like an indentured servant for eternity to some some servient guy you're tending a farm so for him to take that idea of a of the undead and then turn it and I think in the original movie, it has something to do with like, you know, uh, specul- a satellite coming back from Saturn or like Venus. radiation yeah. or something. And Which is... It's a, but it's such a new idea to, you know, to flip the script and not have it just be some Creole voodoo sure. thing. I mean, you know? it's a definitely the kind of a concept that could have been in the 50s sci-fi era the sphere of like nu- the nuclear nuclear yeah. weapons well, you had a lot of those radiation you had a lot of those 50s uh, yeah, films yeah. where like aliens would come down so he's pulling from kind of influences but and, at the same time inside being a commentary uh, even a, even if it was a reluctant one about uh, the civil rights movement this idea of space i mean the, you know this comes out in 69 yeah, you well, know we got the space, got the space, space, pro- the yeah. space program the space race heading to the moon uh, and this idea of radiation is still a very huge like cold war fear yeah it's like what donald rumsfeld said you know donald rumsfeld says there's the there's the known unknowns and there's the unknown unknowns you know so it's like yeah. We didn't. There was a lot of stuff we didn't know about space, and you know, the, you, like you said, you, in the fifties, you see a lot of those movies where it's all like aliens coming down, or, or you know, radiation makes giant bugs. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, because we're testing a bombs, uh, Godzilla, and stuff like that. And uh, you know, in the fifties, you had movies that were like when an alien would come down and take over a dead body, but they were always kind of like you know, it wasn't like they they ended up being here. And I think also Carnival of Souls plays into a little of, of homage. Sure, yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's hard not to at least footnote Carnival of Souls when talking about Night of Living Dead. Or I Am Legend. Like, I guess those yeah. are the two prevailing, like, uh, uh, influences. And then he also talks about when they had finished and edited the print, they were driving it from Pittsburgh to New York, and during that drive is when they heard on the radio that Martin Luther King was assassinated. So already before the movie's even released, you have that connotation of the civil rights movie, and then people automatically start rioting. So when the movie comes out, like you said, then you have this other uh, huge theme that is kind of forced upon the film. And, 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 uh, you know, it, it ends up being this... Uh, I guess a blockbuster to it, like a sleeper sure. for how, how, you know, I think they made it for like $6,000 or something like <laughs> yeah. it was like 10 guys put like 600 bucks in. And then they, that was the budget they had, you know, yeah, they basically was a group of guys that made commercials in, in the Pittsburgh area and worked on like Mr. Mr. Rogers. Rogers. Yeah, and stuff. George Romero got his start. Uh, he, he, he was born in the Bronx in New York and grew up here, but then he went to film school and, or, or he went to college in Pittsburgh and then hung out there. And then he got his start on like, public television and mr rogers i guess shot in the pittsburgh area yeah so he started doing all the uh little like um uh not the, the vignettes but the little short films that mr rogers would cut to like, like hey like when he got his tonsils taken yeah out. or this or that so and then he and and he's jokingly said that the scariest movie he, uh, the scariest film he ever made 
was Fred Rogers getting his tonsils <laughs> taken out. Yeah, and he <laughs> talks about how you know awesome it was to work for Fred McFeely Rogers and how much creative freedom Mr. <coughs> Rogers would let him have about. So it was almost, and he learned a lot of things there. So and then he was able to then go from there and do commercials and then you know get the money to do a uh, a short and then he worked up to do Night of the Living Dead. And then after that is when he does. Um, he does like a romantic comedy. Yeah. Which unfortunately, this this episode is very this, impromptu. This special is so impromptu that there was no research. We're really just yeah. going off the we top. We have no of internet. <laughs> you know, we're, we're in my but mom's attic. Make, <laughs> but he makes like a he makes a, a a very hard to now hard to find romantic comedy kind of, and then he makes Season of the Witch, which like I said has a few other titles because um, it doesn't really even. It gets like renamed in an effort to make it seem more like soft core porn because of that in the seventies, like Russ Meyer kind of yeah, like push or even you know like later on, like after when Deep Throat and oh, stuff, trying Green to Door. make it sell it as av- avant garde, like, yeah, yeah, trying film. to sell it as like an erotic art movie. Yeah. <laughs> instead like, of people forget in the seventies, like you had like those mainstream movies. almost porn yeah. movies, and, and they, they were they were being screened at con, and that's one of the reasons why if you watch Taxi Driver. Travis Binkle decides to take her to see a porn movie because he's so out of it. He's like, hey, you know, uh, Peter Fonda, Jack Nicholson are going to take a girl. I'll go take her to see, you know, Deep yeah. Throat. So, um, um, and then, uh, then he does The Crazies. The Crazies. And The Crazies for me is a great film. It, it, uh, it's, I, it's hard for people, I think, to watch it now because at points it is slow. It's low budget. But if you take all that out of there, like you're saying, it, it is, it is a startling idea. It's edited in a very, f- like, frenetic way like there's like there's very few long shots and two and like medium shots it's a lot of close-ups edited in a way that's it's a style of filmmaking that we are just not used to watching yeah we don't and it wasn't even like it was uh, that commonplace then yeah uh you know romero was for us being a writer and a director and i think one of the things that he prided himself on most was like his ability to edit yeah Uh, and so it's a it's a edited it's edited in a way that's we're just not used to watching i think that can possibly be off-putting to some people yeah i may jar the viewer if that movie is off-putting to people i think that might be a reason why but it's uh and look i mean he's working with like local evan city and pittsburgh (laughs) yeah the like suburb of pittsburgh i'm like a shoestring or no budget whatsoever these people probably might might not even be getting paid yeah Yeah, i mean you can't afford union actors like our old friend who we brought up on the uh the uh, who, who Frame Roger Roberts special, the old gentleman from World War II, Sax used to say to us, "What do you want for nothing?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know. And so he and uh, so it's you know, which resulted it, in a pretty good remake. I that remake of the Crazies, I think, is phenomenal. Yeah. I, it was very terrifying, and very much for me like the remake of Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead were, which you know they were really and more relevant than fears today. And when that remake came out, of like this idea of illness and. Uh, Bi- like, like biological, biological yeah. weaponry, you yeah, know? what the capacity is and all that, and it's it's quite frightening, and it's it's a, uh, it's again, it's another like you said, it's it's so close to the, to the zombie or Night of the Living Dead genre, and that's another thing too that, uh, Romero always stated that he didn't like the word zombie because he said yeah. for him zombie always was attributed to like the Caribbean voodoo guy, yeah. so his idea, which I think is great, he says you know there, he wanted to call them ghouls, you <laughs> yeah, know, and that's yeah. if you read traditional literature of the the history of the dead or the undead in 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 literature and lore they are called ghouls like in europe and you know sure. and during the 
Dark Ages or whatever at the time, yeah. you know. So that was a traditional name for them. So and Crazy even gets like a little meta, like yeah, if way before Scream because it opens with children, but a brother and a sister, much like Night of the Living Dead, a brother and a sister, and the brother is scaring the sister. But I, to my recollection, he's scaring the sister with the same lines. Like, he's scaring his sister with, like, a reference to Night Living Oh, he's, he's, he's like, coming to get you. Yeah, yeah the Boris Karloff. He's coming <laughs> like, to get you, Bob. Like, so my recollection, it's been, you know, it's been yeah. a year since I watched it, but I think that he's even still, you know, like, he's, he's, they're referencing Night of the Living Dead in the beginning of the craziest. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's a great movie to watch, and it's, it's, it's really, if you can, I mean, I think people who listen to us will certainly uh, can really uh, appreciate it, but... I mean, the ideas expressed in it are just frightening, you know, and it's just, yeah. especially, you know, near the end with the, you know, you have the father almost, there's, you know, they, he beds the daughter, <laughs> but it's because they're crazy. Yeah, at this they've point, got the, they've, they got the crazy. they've got the illness and they've gone, and they've gone batshit crazy. So, um, he does that. And then the next film, I think he does after that is, it could be Martin, right? Might be Martin. 78. Cause they do Martin and Dawn of the Dead come out like yeah. the same so year. Martin might be like 77. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, Martin is... Like I said, one of my favorite films of all time. And Martin um, is such a unique... Uh, I don't know if a lot of people have seen it. It's the, also marks the first time Savini collaborates with Romero. He's, yeah. He does the special effects and he's in it. He's a mustacheless Savini, so I don't know if you can trust him. <laughs> I you know, lo- Dion has very strict rules about yeah, mustaches. You don't know, like, you know, a mustacheless Tom Hanks. Or Tom Hanks. Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, Tom you Selleck. You can trust a mustacheless Tom Hanks. Yeah, but a, t- a mustacheless Tom Selleck or a mustacheless Alex Trebek. I don't know if you can trust him. Um uh, Bert, but he or Bert or Bert, yeah, yeah, you know. But it's 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 it was uh, Reynolds that we're saying. Yeah. Um, but it's weird because I guess Savini had almost a chance to work with him on the original Night of the Living Dead, but then he instead he was drafted or for he something. Ended up in Vietnam. Well, it was some projects. My understanding that they were gonna he was gonna do a, Romero was gonna make a project that had high school kids in it. Okay. So he went to a local high school uh, to like look at local the like the drama club talent, and he met Savini. And uh, they were gonna. He wanted to cast Savini. What he was gonna do, and then that didn't work out, or got postponed so long. And then Savini ended up going to Vietnam, kind of right out of high school. And then <clears throat> that project never occurred, never ended happening. And then when Savini came back, they kind of ran into each other in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and as you do. And they're like, they hey, you know, I'll make a Martin. Like, you know, what happened to that? He's and, like, well, I'm doing this thing and. He's like, why well, do special effects? And yeah, it can help you out. And Martin, to the point, like it may not be a really uh, much seen film, but it is such a unique in in my mind. I mean, I'm not a, a real aficionado on the on, on vampirism. Yeah. But to me, it seems like one of the most original takes on, or just a just a different look, or you know, uh, a fresh look at the at the vampire genre. Sure, especially you know? for that time. And I, mean, I don't think it's something we've seen. had. Uh, We've had like, uh, what's the one you mean? The, like, the one like the one with Nicolas Cage. It's kind of like a black comedy. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, that one's bitten. No, and, yeah. I can't. I can't. Think or even that. the one with the uh, the Jim Jim Cameron. Um, uh, what's her name? Bigelow, the female director. Oh, Near Dark. Near Dark. That's kind of a unique look on vampires too. You know. Yeah, yeah. Or, well, the eighties kind of has like its own thing. But Martin comes out and it's. Basically, in like you know, uh, the in a nutshell, it's about this kid who's like nineteen twenty, uh, who has been force fed this myth, this fa- this family lore that he is the Nosferatu, that he's cursed, that he's a vampire, that he's been alive for centuries, 
and he's shipped to go live with his cousin Kuda, uh, who's this older gentleman in a in a you know in a town outside of Pittsburgh, which is like from an old rundown mid uh, mine town, which we talk a little bit about when we talk when we did Slapshot. Yeah, yeah, and, and then the cast has <laughs> come out this week too. We we re- reference it and um, these mill towns that end up dying. And because he's been fed all this stuff, he believes that he's a vampire. And so he's, he, in one way, in one sense, he believes that he's like centuries old. So he's, he's supernatural in that way. But he's also like, you know, it's not like it is in the movies. Like the garlic doesn't work and the, that, and, you know, I don't bite them. Like he uses, he basically dopes them, you know, yeah, with, 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 with a, a syringe, syringe and then cuts, cuts their, you know, their veins open with, with a razor with and a then razor and blade, sucks their blood and then sucks their blood. And, and the so movie's like a serial killer in this sense. And the movie's shot in color, but then what's, um, if you're not paying attention, it's kind of, uh, jarring is that he has flashbacks of himself. Yeah. Uh, hundred years before in black and white yeah so it's it it almost then begs the question is he nuts and he having these um uh visions or is 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 it in fact true is he yeah. a vampire or someone who's been alive for and it's years? Uh, romero has said on many occasions that it's his favorite film of yeah. his catalog and it's certainly my favorite film of his catalog and we could certainly do I'm sure we will. A huge uh, we'll episode a, yeah. at some point down the line because there is. I have so much to say about that. And it, and it ends up going into this story where his his I thought it's his cousin. I thought it was his uncle Kuda. Yeah, it's supposed to be his cousin. Yeah. and then he's got like a granddaughter that there's kind of like who's a, Romero's wife, but before who later Romero ma- ra- married Romero, so we see her in a lot of Romero stuff. Yeah. Um, past that, but before that, that's like they weren't married yet when they made Martin. And and, and her boyfriend is Tom Savini. Yeah, and she's like the only voice of reason. Yeah, because they kind of have like a—it's not a, like a bed and breakfast, but it's a house kind of like that. And his cousin Kuda, who's an older man, is kind of like the Van Helsing in the yeah, yeah. movie. And his eye—his like, first, is, I will save your soul. Then I will kill you. Let me show you a room. <laughs> Let me show you to your room. <laughs> and and and, but he also uh, propels the myth or yeah. the belief because he completely he believes, believes in himself. It. So the, the the movie then becomes and it's like this weird tragedy because Martin finds love. Yeah, in a traditional sense, with a troubled woman who's having an affair with Martin, which plays very much into um, season of the witch is very much like that. The woman in season of the witch is uh, a discouraged housewife who wants to have an affair. So there's a lot of these parallels, and I I do feel, and I think I said it in the Wrong Real podcast that watching them now, kind of side by side. It almost feels like Season of the Witch and Martin are like in the same universe. Oh, okay. Like yeah. different parts of Pittsburgh, like a different suburb of Pittsburgh. Wow, that was happening. <laughs> like, meanwhile, <laughs> Crosstown. And again, it becomes this great story. It's almost like a tragic story of this oh, kid. Oh, it's very tragic. Uh, in, in the sense well, of Martin. He, I mean, he's a troubled kid yeah. who's been forced to. I mean, I love that. But movie at the same time, you know, we, you can't. I mean, not you, but it's hard to completely empathize with him because he is a serial killer. He is going out and he killing is, people. But he's part of like the, you know, and I just did an episode of the Hellbent for Horror podcast. Blake uh, is around. <laughs> where we talked about this idea of the quote unquote like sympathetic monster. Yeah. Or the sympathetic killer where we talked about M, uh, First Lang's M with Peter Laurie. We talked about Peeping Tom from 1960. We talked about Martin. Uh, we talk about Maniac with uh, Joe, Joe Spinell. Spinell by Bill Lustig, and we talk about we even talk about Taxi Driver. And we did a podcast on Mad Love, and we talk that's a Peter Lorre film. We talk in that a lot about Fritz Lang and M, and we also did a podcast on Maniac. Yes, uh, Bill so Lustig. like the subject of like this sympathetic killer 
this person who does horrible things, but you as an audience feel f- some kind of sympathy or even empathy sometimes, which is kind of what's scary about watching those kinds of movies. And it's a subject I, that fascinates me a lot. You even say Norman Bates is in that oh, realm, sure. too. You Ma- know? Norman's definitely in that, but, you, you know, spoiler alert, for the most movie, you don't know that it's Norman. What are you, <laughs> you talking about? <laughs> oh, for Christ's sakes, you ruined it for me. Uh, so it's a very fascinating idea, this, and then... It, and then um, you know, and there's it, it, there's some scenes in Martin that are a little slow, and you know. Um, but oh yeah, sure. I mean, it's you know, it's a dated movie. It's, it's, a, it's a low budget movie. Yeah. From you know, the mid seventies. So it's it's got it's you know it's and but uh, and it ends abruptly too, very uh, shockingly so, and and it's definitely something who is if you're a fan of vampires, yeah. or I mean, mirror or horror, it's a must. I know. I could talk about that movie forever because it genuinely is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, and now that I've I've watched it two times within the last year because I had to talk about it two times on a podcast, pod, yeah. separate podcast. It's just like almost like my appreciation for it is even stronger you know, than, than it was. It. Yeah. yeah, and then the same year he comes out with his sequel to Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, which yeah. is another huge, which I think really, it was always a cult classic, but I feel like it really found its audience or found the the proper place in history, maybe in the early 2000s when they remade it. Yeah, you well, know. the internet changed a lot of things, especially for, like, geek fan culture. Yeah, nerds. And a big part of that cult- <clears throat> subdivision of that culture is horror. Yeah. And uh, the cross-section, the, the the two things that really happened were one, one distribution, home video distribution, uh, places like Anchor Bay and then Blue Underground and... These films were becoming available and you know looking nice, even though it was still VHS. And then shortly after that, on on DVD, the new format at the time. And the other thing that really made a big difference was the internet kind of unified everybody. It it created a it created a place where a community that was that the one or two weird horror kids in a in a high school could now congregate with the one or two weird horror kids from every high school in America and then every high school yeah, around the world room, and all of a sudden all of a sudden there was more horror driven magazines not just Fangoria there were conventions popping up all over the place and all of a sudden Side websites and all yeah, yeah more websites chat boards you know those things don't exist so much anymore but uh, and then once social media kind of hit all these people found each other on things like Facebook first MySpace and then Facebook now Twitter and with that, some of these films, you know, when we, Dion and I were getting into horror movies, like not a lot of people knew who Dario Argento was or Lucio Fulci. You know, they were there were certainly were diehard horror people that knew who they were, but you had to hunt for that shit. Yeah, you know, like we had to come down to New York City to find <laughs> to find that stuff, yeah. or go to hunt, you know, video store rental places and look for the weird stuff and find those things. And a lot of that changed just five years after we kind of started hunting for that stuff. Now, Dawn of the Dead was never a film that was that lost because uh, to audience because it was an American film and it did get carried in, in video stores. It did very video, well when video it came rental out too. places and it did well. But with all that, kind of that perfect storm of everything happening for horror fans, the distribution, the internet, 
it certainly did rise to power, like in popularity, and then the remake certainly put it over the top. Yeah, I mean, it is now considered by I would say the majority of zombie movie fans to be like the favorite. Uh, Dawn, Dawn, yeah, yeah. and Dawn starts uh, a great plot device starts right after Night of the Living Dead. It's one of those things like you know, Night of the Living Dead was shows you the outbreak, and then when Dawn starts, it just shows you the pandemonium that's ensuing. And you know, in a nutshell, it's just about a couple people who were able to escape the the downtown city that's falling apart because of the zombie pandemic and their go or epidemic and they're going uh they find uh kind of like a it's one of those indoor shopping malls yeah in a a shopping mall (laughs) and that again is another thing that we've been talking about that are are becoming popular right now (laughs) yeah and we've been talking about that late uh lately the urban renewal aspect that in the 60s and 70s when they started to redo downtown areas to try to bring more shoppers who lived in the suburbs back downtown or wherever or, or the, sh- you know, they or the the businesses that were leaving the downtown area to go to the suburbs, they were making these strip malls and shopping malls. So the mall idea of a mall was relatively new new in the '60s into the '70s. So yeah. they, we, as we talked about, with Night of the Living Dead being like this whole big uh, uh, body for uh, all these different themes of civil rights or whatever, or, or you know, the fear of what's happening next. You have the '70s with Dawn of the Dead almost being like a. Uh, um, an idea of consumerism and, and, and you know looking at us and what as a society are yeah. we becoming because all we're doing now is going to the mall and staying there all day and you know sure. shopping the, the idea of the obviously the very blatant kind of uh, metaphor uh, for consumerism but also just the idea of this late 70s disco era excess yeah lifestyle um you know the that people were were starting to lead uh, where things like Saturday Night Fever come out of. You know this is kind of this is commenting on the same kinds of things, and this idea of these people shutting out the rest of the world, and then living this extravagant lifestyle, kind of creating this self-induced, the self-made utopia. And then that literally becomes crashing down on them yeah. with the red when the outside world comes in the form of the bikers and Tom Sabini's like biker crew come crashing into the mall. Like you can't, you can't separate yourself from the rest of the world for too long. Like this, like utopia isn't something that can really exist and and uh, for 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 an extended period of time, as Romero says in the movie. And also, this movie introduces the idea of the zombies having this trace memory. So when they die, they can sort of have a a memory of what's happening, and that becomes a huge thing in uh, a theme or an idea that, that, that carries on through Romero's zombie films. So that's the reason why, for some reason or the other, a lot of these they, zombies they used were, to come here. Yeah, it was a place. They were yeah, it was they a place for here when they were alive. It was a place that they remember being happy at. So, like, that's the reason why they were able to justify that all these uh, ghouls, when they die, are showing up. They're just going to the mall, and they're so our our band of survivors are able to clear the mall, and then kind of like uh, fortify it. And they were living, like you're saying, in this kind of like microcosm of what's happening in the world. But they're shutting out the the yeah. world, taking a shit. And then at the end of the movie, you know, uh, a roaming biker gang sees that the mall is there and they want in, and then they destroy everything and every, you know, everybody. Which are themes like I don't know the last two seasons of Walking Dead when they go to that neighborhood and they have the Walden neighborhood yeah. and they try to just live and like they a keep yeah they keep life. making these society they keep making you know, these cultures or the or governor when he had his neighborhood yeah or <laughs> that know, other like, Allentown or whatever that was 
usually humans like all this stuff all the things that you're watching in in the walking dead all these things of like how sh- the shitty humanity is yeah and like there were the real monsters all yeah. that stuff is is in dawn of the dead like it is taken like yeah. lifted directly from uh, george romero movies and that's the re- that's a, a big theme of tom savini's remake of night of the living dead from like 1990 or 91 is that you know we're the zombie and the zombie is us and who is actually, when you look at it, the evil or the worst person? You know, is it the zombie who has just died and now has been condemned to live and want yeah. food or what? Or you know, instinct. Yeah, living inst- off instinct. Yeah, really, just an animal. Not yeah, not you know, not even having feelings or even kind of like any kind of real thought or the evil people who then, you know, uh, almost exploit that to a certain extent. And you know, you see that certainly at the end of Night of the Living Dead, which um, I think from what I've heard is Savini used some of the things that they originally wanted to do in the original night, but they couldn't because it was too controversial. Like you have, um, when they're getting the crowds under the zombies under control at the end of the night of living dead, the remake Savini's, you have like the biker gangs, like fighting with them, like, cause they're all drinking and they've, they've got like a wrestling match or you have them hanging and lynching them from the trees and using them as target practice. Like it's yeah. becomes which, very unsettling, which Romero kind of does a little bit of in, the later, like Land of the Dead. Yeah, and he explores that. Of dead, and, and uh, Survival of the Dead. So Dawn of the Dead is a huge movie that, you know... Uh, also marks his first collaboration in the beginning of his friendship with Dario Argento. Yeah. Um, he wrote it in Italy, and it was co-financed with Argento's European people. His peeps. And... Uh, Got Goblin on there too. Goblin, the soundtrack, um, was hired to do uh, the Italian cut, the the European Dario Argento cut. They scored that, and so originally, from what I understand, the initial cut didn't have any of Romero's cut. Didn't have any Goblin, but then once Romero saw Romero uh, Argento's cut, he liked it. So in in subsequent like releases of Dawn of the Dead, shortly after that. There were some cues from the zombies, from uh, from Art Goblin's score added to it. And this is probably something that people don't even realize now with these big box sets where you get the different versions. But I remember when we got into, you know, I saw Dawn of the Dead growing up. But then when we were in college and we discovered Dario Argento, we quickly realized that there were all these different cuts. There's yeah. the Dario Argento European cut, which, which is, is supposed the to be shortest. Like, yeah, and it's and then for years we heard it was so much better because it's it takes out a lot of the slow parts of the original cut or vice versa. And then when you and I were able to finally track that down, we I don't think we found that much better. I mean, we, you know, I li- I actually do like it a little bit better, but I also it's like I was never a diehard Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, fan. like I like I like Dawn of the Dead, and I love things in Dawn of the Dead and aspects of Dawn of the Dead and I have a lot of respect for Dawn of the Dead but it was never like I like Day of the Dead better yeah um, which was a, you know a, again Ten, a yeah. film that you introduced me to and then that was Dawn also brought that idea up that I think he and then used subsequently in all his the zombie movies is like when 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 the uh, when hell is full the dead will walk the earth or yeah. the other thing with the one legged uh, priest he says like when the dead walk signore it is we have to stop the killing to win the war. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, like you gotta, yeah. you know, it's all these kind of like um, surreal kind of ideas you gotta kind of uh, embrace. So then after Dawn and the success of Dawn, I think he does what? Uh, Night Riders, right? Night yeah, Riders is like 81. Next, yeah. It's Eight. probably, 
I guess that's probably before Creepshow. Yeah, I think it's right before because I think Creepshow is 82 or 83. And I, I believe uh, it might be around the time that they're talking about doing Creepshow because S- Stephen King does has a cameo as like an audience member. In Knight Riders. In Knight Riders. Yeah. And Knight Riders is a very unique. Fi- there's it's, there's very few times you can look at movies and throughout cinema and especially now, you know, close to 40 years later and say like there was never a movie quite like that before and there still isn't a movie quite like Knight Riders since. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, this beautiful film about again very much playing on the same kinds of themes of Dawn of the Dead. It's this group of people that have decided to leave the world, you know, the common world, much like the our group of people that go into the shopping mall. But instead of going to a shopping mall and kind of living their life there, these people create like this traveling circus, this medieval like rent like Ren fair, like Renaissance fair type atmosphere. But they and actually they did, live did jousting and stuff. They like joust that. on motorcycles. Instead of horses, yeah. Instead they, of horses. But they live. They genuinely live this lifestyle. And that's like a lot Ed of, Harris is the king. And that's a lot of things you get uh a lot of those Renaissance fairs and, and like or especially role like LARPing, live action role playing. Yeah. You get a lot of that where these people, um, you know, they, 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 it, the, the game or the, I don't know what you would call it, almost becomes like you're saying their life. They yeah. get so engrossed in it. But they genuinely, it was like an active way of leaving like the humdrum, like business fueled world of the everyday and creating this, their own community where they do this. And it's weird. And it's, and then it's, it's about how just like, the bikers and the zombies intrude in Dawn of the Dead. It's about how, like, um, not consumerism, but, like, fame and the media from the outside world intrude and then corrupt yeah, corrupt them by pulling Savini away to, you know, to be, you know, the kid comes with a magazine and he wants Ed Harris as the king to say, and the, actually the kid's very good in that movie because kids can be annoying, but he's very, like, he's totally feel for him. And he hands, he's like, will you sign my magazine? And, and Ed Harris is like, what is this? And it's a picture of him on a motorcycle and somebody had taken a picture and put it like in this motorcycle magazine. And he's like, sorry, kid, I can't sign it because like, I don't believe in it. Like, this is against everything. And he's like, but, you know, it's just this You're kid who you know, and so it's it's about it's very much the same themes of Dawn of the Dead, and it's, it's which is what I it's, I love Romero for that. Yeah, know? and it's it's interesting that at that time era of the middle to late seventies into the early eighties, where you had that idea, not just in Romero films, but there's these other films which I just you know we talk about all the time of these movies that you remember growing up, but you and then they they horrified you, but you don't know the names of them until much later. There's a uh, a couple movies were like I think they're called like Into the Wilder- Wilderness or whatever where it's like this family it's almost like a Swiss Family Robinson where it's a family just they, they cannot take living in the city anymore and they just pack up mom, dad and the kids and they move to a cabin and there's three in that f- series of uh, the man in the wilderness films with like Grizzly Bear and he meets the bear and stuff like that and then there's another movie called The Earthling which is one of um, William Holden's last movies about the same thing with Ricky Schroeder a very young Ricky Schroeder where he you know, his family's going to the wilderness and there's a tragedy where his Ricky Schroeder's parents die at the beginning and then William Holden has to take care of the kid. But the, my point is there was this big idea where like people were getting a little too, you know, the, the, you think it's, it's, I guess it's almost laughable now because you see how far technology in the world has gone. Yeah. But back then it was troubling people then, like in the late seventies with people were thinking instead of now you have like global warming, people thought there was going to be another ice age, you know? And like, that was the idea. So people, and then just too much technology and being, you know, stuck on it. So that was a really, uh, a big theme of people wanting to escape 
life and they were too dependent on whatever and just get back to the basics as we see somewhat in Dawn of the Dead and what you're saying in Knight Riders, you know, and then yeah, yeah. and then I guess Romero's take on it is you can't always head, have your head in the sand forever because as much as you try to like, you know, uh, much like isolationism, say, in before World War One or Two, you can't let stuff just go on over there because sooner or later it's going to come and bother you in your neighborhood or yeah, your house, yeah. you know, so it's very interesting. And then, so Knight Riders, I think, also is up in the realm of Martin where a lot of people haven't probably seen it or heard of it. No, you know? no. I was, I was pleased to see that when was it like a Sunday when he, that he passed yeah. away? That, you know, when people started posting like their tributes and the movies they loved on Twitter and stuff, I, it was nice to see that Martin and Knight, and specifically Knight Riders was getting, they were getting a lot of mentions. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like it's great to see that at least among this like film loving, horror loving. They're not just like Night Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead were awesome. <laughs> yeah, community. That the the, there was a real great. appreciation yeah. for these other films. And it's also like you said, it's it's uh, Ed Harris right before I think he broke out. You know, he's, yeah. and then because in the next he he's I think the next year they do Creep Show and he's got a bit part in Creep Show too. And Creep Show it's one of my favorite films. Yeah. Uh, it's it's Creep Show is a film that I I I do. I love watching, but it was a film that I did not grow up with. So it, it, it means very, it means something very different to me because everybody that I know, like Dave Hastings, who we gets mentioned on our show, a lot of friend of ours from film school, who you did the silver bullet podcast, with. Bullet. one of the silver bullet podcasts, <laughs> with. one of my silver, many silver bullet podcasts with, yeah. um, he was devastated, but not because of the Night of the Living Dead. When when he found out Romero died, it was because of how important Creepshow was to him. Yeah. Uh, so I, I almost regret that I didn't get to grow up with Creepshow because I see how important Creepshow was to all my friends that did grow up with it. Yeah. Um, I didn't discover Creepshow until much later and probably had seen it here and there, pieces of it here and there on TV or on cable when we were in college and past but i didn't really see creep show in its entirety for a long time so i i it, that's it's uh it's a little bit of regret and i wish i had been able to grow up with it because it seems like such a great movie to discover when you're that age when you're yeah, the when age you're of the kid that <laughs> bookends the, the movie yeah 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 uh tom atkins is son in it yeah it's, yeah it's just it's such a and that's another one it's a tribute to ec comics and all the comic books that these guys grew up on reading in the fifties and, and, uh, and you end up seeing like the show tales from the crypt being an exact, you know, uh, homage to, because they used to have a, you know, fall to horror tales from the crypt. They did a couple live action, which I personally love from the seventies of tales from the crypt. And I think the sequel was the vault of horror. Uh, but this was, I guess, Stephen King penned creep show script. Mm -hmm. And it was like their love letter to this, yeah. this, bygone genre ec comics is genre of all these different titles which is amazing because it's ec comics educational comics you know there's <laughs> so many i feel like we had this discussion about another movie or maybe i just had this discussion about creep show when i did the wrong real podcast but i find it interesting because it's it's such like a nostalgic gem in that like we're talking about it and you're talking about your nostalgia for creep show but creep show is a work of nostalgia. Yeah, for these people. For <laughs> they made it out of nostalgia yeah. for EC Comics. You know, so it's 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 a it was like a love a nostalgic love letter to like their youth that now has become a, a nostalgic love a love letter to people of our generation. Yeah. And it's such a unique way of doing it. They really make it. You know, the whole idea is that there's these like four or five 
stories and like these anthologies, much like a Twilight Zone or Tales from the Crypt. And uh, it's just like in, in, a, in like you used to get an old comic book of the sort. You'd have about five or six stories that were unrelated in the story. So how they present it is really very comic booky in a way that it's really cool how they shot it, yeah. how it looks, and how at the end of each um, story it kind of be, it fades into comic book form again, and then the camera kind of rises from one panel and goes to the next panel, or the the the, the page turns and they have there's kind of a crypt keeper at the beginning and end who was kind of not so much as the the narrator but he kind of is the guide on the journey yeah you know and then there's a slew of actors and this um, yeah it's great cast it, it might highlight i don't know i mean I'm, this might be scandalous or controversial but it might be like a hype the high point in romero's career where he's getting all these almost a-listers to be in it i mean you can rattle off there's at least a dozen people in it that are you know there you know tom yeah. you got tom atkins you got um Tom Atkins, <laughs> you got, you know, Ted Danson, you have Leslie Nielsen, you have, uh, uh, what's his face? Um, uh, you just, Hal you, Holbrook? That's not who I'm thinking of. You have Hal Holbrook in it. You have Adrian Barbeau. You have... Uh, Who's the guy at the end? The, the bug. Uh, the uh, bug J.T. Walsh. Is it J.T. Walsh? Or am I thinking of... Um, am, um, I'm thinking of J.T. Walsh is the actor that died in the 90s. The character actor. Um, anyway. Yeah, but you have so many people in it. And each story is really, really good. I mean, you have Savini helming the special effects. And uh, I think you have, about f- you have Stephen King in it as, as well. He acts in it. Mm-hmm. And um, I forget who... Um, the It might be Joan Crawford or somebody big at the... Be- I forget who at the beginning, you know, that first story... Uh, oh yeah, it's not know, Joan Crawford, but, but it's, yeah, it's somebody from that older generation. Yeah, she, uh, not Betty Davis, but someone of that caliber. She's in it, Ed Harris, you know, and it's just done so well, and it's just it really gives you that idea of the '50s comic book and the stories yeah. that you have. And, and we should point out for people that might not know, I'm sure many of you might already know that the actual like comic book, like the Creepshow, like graphic novel comic book based on the movie. It just got reissued, or is being reissued very shortly. Oh, um, they did an they did a like an adapt a comic book adaptation. For yeah, it. yeah, that's because uh, I remember seeing it on Amazon uh, for pre order a long time ago and being like, do I want to just do I want to buy it that way or do I want to just get it for like the Kindle, get the electronic version? Yeah, because <laughs> do I really still want to keep collecting? Uh, um. E.G. Marshall. E. G. Marshall. I was going to say, J.T. Walsh is the actor that died, and the character actor that died in the 90s. Uh, Fritz Weaver, uh, we said Leslie Nielsen, Savini, uh, just a whole ton of people Yeah, that are there. So, yeah, it, and it's just a, to me, it's like a work of art, and it's like, you know, I saw it at a young age, and I used to get that in Creepshow 2 uh, mixed up yeah. because it's another anthology with a, another great cast as well. So, um and for me, it just, it's like a high watermark of also Romero's career where he was almost like, not to say he never was like a, uh, a lister or accepted in the <coughs> Hollywood, um, you know, uh, circles, but it's, it's really just like it's a, you know, a really good shining moment of, of you know, of, of a high mark in his career where he's, you know, yeah. like a lot of doors are opening for him and he can really yeah. almost do what he wants. Unfortunately, he ends up being one of those guys that ends up, I think, after Creepshow, like having a lot of trouble with, this like the 80s studio system yeah um it ends up like really disliking his experience trying to work within some kind of pre-existing film industry instead of working like kind of his on his own uh in a more independent fashion and i think his next movie is day of the dead right it's like solid like 85 i think maybe 
Yeah, I would guess so. And that, I'm that's, trying to think when Monkey Shines comes out, but I, I think, think Monkey Shines and Dark Half are like part of a a deal. So I think those two are a little bit later. Um, and you hit Day of the Dead then, and then that's kind of the third story in the Dead <coughs> uh, in the Dead franchise. And you have uh, again more issues of the day about you know uh, military the, the scare of the military overpowering the the civilian. At this point, it's a continuation of Dawn of the <coughs> Dead, where the now the dead are completely taken over, sure. and the people are living like in these little and bunkers. Apparently, he had a, an original script, which was all completely ep- different, epically long, yeah, and completely different. Well, they, people were living on an island, and, and you had different zombies. Uh, they were somehow able to domesticate certain zombies, so th- the zombies were color coding, so you could tell what zombie was what. So if it was a domesticated zombie, say they would wear red or blue, and they couldn't, you know. I guess the 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 the, uh, the original script was so epic. They were like, we can't shoot this for the budget we have, so they kind of scaled it down. And all that gets represented in Bub, um, which is a great idea. Of then the idea in Day of the Dead is them. You have the the military just doesn't care. I don't know what they they just you know they're just all complete nuts. But then you have the 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 scientific mind is idea is hey let's try to like domesticate. You know we have so many of these zombies around we have to try to domesticate these things and uh you have the one um scientist in it who's we find out is uh shithouse insane or yeah, he's, yeah. he's fucking nuts but his idea is to try to the actor who played in that role was like dr frankenstein yeah i think something. his name is like yeah uh he's actually he plays the father uh that we mentioned in the incestual oh in, 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 the, in, crazies. in the crazies yeah, yeah and he has a guy bub played by sherman howard who a lot of people will know from uh, Seinfeld and stuff. He's a great character actor. And he plays uh, this um, zombie bub. Sure. And, you know, he's, he's for better or for worse, he's successfully able to domesticate this yeah. zombie. And we've talked about uh, in Day- Dawn of the Dead, he introduces the idea of these ghouls having trace memories. And that is something that this scientist, uh, Frankenstein, works upon in Day of the Dead and he's able to give him like, items like a headphones and he yeah. puts on Beethoven's Ninth and, and Bub remembers the music or he tr- he takes a razor and he tries to shave or he looks at a book. Uh, he, I think it's like Stephen King's Needful Things. and he, you know, So he kind of has these memories, you know? And then, you know, he, he, they even give him like a gun without ammo in it and he's, he knows how to work a forty-five. So it's a very interesting idea. But then, like we said in Dawn of the Dead, it's one of these ideas where you can't really just stay away from the problem forever because sooner or later, uh, and, and this is another theme that I think he plays greatly on a Night of the Living Dead, where you have these people having, you know, you're, you're stuck in this catastrophe in this, this circumstance where you have zombies coming at you, but instead within the house, the humans are just fighting over petty scrabbles. Who's going to be in charge? Yeah. Where are we going to be in the basement or up here? And that's what happens in Day of the Dead, where these you have this infighting with the the military guys wanting to run the operation and the other people who are like, no, we should be in charge, and they end up just destroying themselves and letting the evil the zombies in. So by the yeah. time, and that's another great. And also, that movie also marks um, kind of a groundbreaking oh, special effects special effects yeah for, for that kind of film at that point that was for up me to, up till that point i remember oh, i've said this many times on the cast i remember going to the video store or like the supermarket and looking at the video store aisle they had there and remembering the escape from new york box and i remember the day of the dead box and flipping that over and to me day in the dead was like like x-rated it was like dirty i can never watch something like that and then when i finally rented it in high school and watched it with a friend of mine 
it's amazing the level of special effects that um that uh, uh tom savini was able to pull off and like you know he had savini had done like it seems like his coup de gras was like blowing heads up he he does a great head blowing up in dawn of the dead he does a he blows his own head up in and uh bill lusting's maniac and then when we get to to day of the dead he has this whole system where he's able to like have a false body so that the zombie can get up and all his internal organs can fall on the ground. And I think a lot of the misgiving misgivings on say how the zombies, I keep calling them zombies, which Romero hated, (laughs) you know, sorry, George. Yeah. The the undead, how they looked in Dawn of the Dead. I think a lot of people say, you know, they're green or blue. It Mm -hmm. doesn't really hold up, but I think he learned his lesson because of day of the dead. I think they look phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's some of the best zombie. And then when you go on for the remake of night of the living dead, in 1990, it's some of the best makeup effects sure. I've seen. In in my mind, some of it's better than what we see now in Walking Dead. You know, yeah, yeah. So I mean, they're constantly playing homage in Walking Dead to the um, to, to Frank all, is yeah. constantly playing homage to the zombies of the Romero films. Also, Day of the Dead has uh, one of my favorite scores, uh, horror scores by John Harrison. It's great. Yeah, it's a great score. You know, and and and. Uh, and it's it kind of books in the trilogy really well, uh, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know he w- he w- went on later to do Lo- Land of the Dead in two thousand four or five or six after the success of the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, you know. But um, that kind which of is a film that holds up better than you'd think because I hadn't seen it since we saw it the movies. I don't know. I, I have a feeling we probably saw it together. We might have, but then a group of people. Yeah, because I saw it with a friend of mine too. <coughs> and then. I hadn't seen it since then because I didn't really care for it. And Did I, I yell at somebody in the theater? Because uh, <laughs> I yelled at somebody I when I saw know. it. You yell at somebody every time. I, I, know, I know. <laughs> well, it's, not, uh, it's not like I'm <laughs> taking it, my anger out on somebody. Someone's yelling or mouthing off, and I'm like, and, shut uh, up. But I rewatched it, even though we didn't talk. We weren't going to talk about the, the the dead films when I did the Wrong Real podcast. But I wanted to basically, I basically watched every movie Romero made in preparation yeah. I just wanted to have like a full yeah of course you know working knowledge of uh, it's like you learn fresh. A, it's I wanted like to freshen up you're learning everything. a martial art you learn everything <laughs> you forget it all <laughs> yeah yeah I wanted to I had seen all of them but I hadn't seen all of them in a long time so I did watch Land of the uh, that even though I knew we weren't really going to talk too much about it um, and enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to because of my initial feelings yeah I think it was just a little bit of expectations not not meeting expect- expectations when I saw it in the theater but uh, revisiting it and kind of enjoying it for what it was I think we had so much expectations because I remember when Dawn of the Dead the remake came out and did so well and then you hear that George Romero who like we said is uh, who pioneered the genre yeah. is coming back who to originally was going to do Resident Evil at, at one point yeah before. the video game uh, yeah. movie yeah with, with, which uh, was like the Mila first movie Jovich that kind of like sparked that revival yeah um, you were like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, he's going to, the master is going to show you how it's done. So I think a lot of people went into Land of yeah. the Dead with it was such like unfair, high yeah, unfair expectations. expectations. And then, you know, a lot of people didn't think he met the bar or a lot of people loved it. I mean, you know, Dennis Hopper plays a great role. Sure, um, yeah. What's his face? Um, John Leguizamo. Yeah. There's a lot of people. Yeah. In it. yeah. So, it, it, and. Um, but even before that, he makes other great movies. Yeah. Well, after Day of the Dead, then he does Monkey Shines and he does yeah, The Dark Half. Monkey Shines, I love. I love yeah. Monkey Shines. Mar- Monkey Shines is a little <coughs> disturbing to me. It is, well, it <laughs> is. Just, but I am very impressed. Same with why I, one of the reasons why I love Christine so much is I'm very impressed when you take like a non human thing in the movie and make it 
a real character. The monkey. Like, the, in this case, the monkey. In Christine, it's the car. Yeah. In this case, the monkey is, like, a genuine character in the movie. And I, I just really... Uh, I, when I saw Monkey Shines for the first time, I was like, man, this movie is great. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of appreciation for, for Monkey Shines. And then... Uh, I hadn't. Ne- I saw Dark Half for the first time in preparation for the Wrong Real podcast, and it's problematic, but I really like it, and it has one of the most, one of the creepiest, scariest, grossest things I've ever seen in a movie, <clears throat> which is as a kid, uh, uh, as the the writer in the movie played by um, also written by Stephen King, right? Yeah, it's based on a uh, book Timothy Hutton. Timothy Hutton, and it's kind of. It's a, based on a Stephen King book, which is kind of loosely based on Stephen King wrote a bunch of books under an alter ego. Yeah, because at the so, time... So that he wouldn't be compare, uh, competing, competing against, competing against yeah. himself because he was know being that. so prolific. Yeah, when, you're, when you have a publisher and you're putting out the publisher, you, if, you, if you put something out and then you put another thing out, you could actually compete against yourself, so publishers don't want that. Yeah. So sometimes you have to have like a two-year window, but he was putting so much stuff out, he said, fuck it, I'll just write under a pseudonym, and that's, I think, where you get running mans under that pseudonym, and you maybe, yeah. like you're saying, a couple other things. So this was kind of... The, the concept of the movie is like, what if these two alter egos like meet? <laughs> you know, the, the he's going to kill the one the Stephen King is going to kill his alter ego. <clears throat> you know, announce that he had this alter ego and kill that alter ego forever. Uh, but what if that alter ego doesn't want to die and doesn't want to be killed? And that's kind of the concept of the dark half. Timothy Hutton plays this in the movie. Plays yeah, the yeah, author, yeah. but as a kid, he has like these headaches and stuff. And so they go in and have like brain surgery, and they discover that there's like a twin, yeah, like a, a Siamese twin or a conjoined twin that's been absorbed. And so they like in his brain, they like poke around, and then like an eye opens. Oh my gosh! And just like, it is the creepiest thing I've ever seen, and it's the, the way it looks is so amazing, frightening. And it's just like in this like in the guy's like brain, like an eye opens, and they're like, oh, it's it's like a dead eye that's just like having, you know, like it's not actually seeing anything. It's just like a. You know, spasming or whatever, kind of uh, involuntary. But it, I'm like, holy crap! <laughs> that is so, it's so disturbing. That is so disturbing. But, but Dark Half is is good. Yeah, um, and then you, but you, yeah, he had a lot of problems. I guess but he had a lot studio. of problems with the ending, getting the ending done. And I guess maybe that affected his. And health it never, as well. and they never actually ended up finishing the score. So a lot of stuff in the last half of the movie is just recycled score from earlier in the movie that Chris Young had done. Yeah. Um. And apparently, he had some kind of medical thing happened and so for, unfortunately the dark half uh suffered problems but as a whole i actually like that movie a lot <clears throat> and um you get michael rooker is in it as, yeah. a, as a sheriff or a police officer and uh timothy hutton's really great in it he gives a really great performance um and, that, oh, and then another movie is his second collaboration with dario shento two evil eyes is another f- yeah. favorite of mine which is right around that time and so while he they're doing the dark half as we said savini's over remaking night of living dead which comes out i don't know if it does very well when it comes out but that was huge for me and that kind of yeah. reinvigorated my uh interest in the dead movies and for me like the f- fifth or sixth grade like i you know as we always talk about we collect the comic books and at whatever issue i had a punisher or spider-man the back cover was the poster, the original poster for Night of the Living Dead, and it was yeah. just this poster of this house on top of a hill and these, you know, faceless bodies with their backs to you going up, and there's like a couple lights on that are kind of lighting the. I need to watch that scary, one again. Scary, scared the poops <clears throat> out of me. Because I haven't watched it since you showed it to me, 
And at the time, I just don't think. What like, year was I'll, that? You're talking about like years ago? Like freshman year. Yeah, oh, wow. Like 20 years ago was okay. the last time I saw it. Yeah. Um, and also, when you showed Day of the Dead to me at that time, I didn't like that one so much either. It wasn't until I watched Day of the Dead later that I fell in love with it. Yeah. Um, I just don't think I was. I don't know. For some reason, I was closed off to certain things. Uh, like, they just didn't connect with me at that point. But knowing how much I love Day of the Dead now. And knowing how I felt about Day of the Dead the first time I saw it, I really need to rewatch the remake of well, Night of Living Dead. They Especially had because most people I know, like I just befriended this guy that I was just working with, I was just telling Dion about it, who grew up in Evan City, Pennsylvania. He yeah. grew up where Night of the Living Dead was shot. His high school is in the crazy yeah. the high school that he went to. And he loves the remake. And I find that a lot of people that really love, truly love the original Romero uh, trilogy of dead films also really love the remake of night that's how i am i mean i uh <clears throat> it has its problems um the the first being uh at the time savini had an idea of how he wanted the score to go but then the the uh studio actually took over so the score isn't the best the that said the theme of the movie like there's the you know whatever whatever like the main theme yeah that is really really good yeah you know that comes over the title credits and stuff but the, the the incidental music in between is kind of like very synthy, like a guy with a Casio keyboard, yeah. you know, sadly. And then recently, and then, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't go too much into it, but then he had issues because Romero wasn't there to back him up because he was doing the dark half. So a lot of the ideas he had in the movie, like he wanted to do another exploding head that would rival all the exploding heads he's ever done. And the studio was like, we don't want it to be too gory. And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? It's a dead movie. <laughs> I'm Tom, I'm yeah, Tom, I'm Tom, Tom, Tom fucking Savini. You know, what the fuck are you talking about? I blew my own head up 20 years ago. But so he had, he was, he ended up fighting the, the studio for uh, the gore factor. And he had an idea in the movie where he wanted to, like they do with Greg Nicotero does in Walking Dead now, where he wanted the zombies in the movie to be homages to other zombies. Yeah, like yeah. one looks like Bub, one looks like the zombie at the beginning of Zombie on the Boat, you know, so mm -hmm. you can point them out. And then that kind of went to shit because of the cuts, you know. Sure. So there's supposedly like a cut somewhere available that Savina doesn't even know if he has that is a, a, a director's cut. And I would love to have that come out. But then most recently, the problem you've seen is when it finally made it to Blu-ray, people were like Blu-ray purists were pissed on these Blu-ray sites because the uh, transfer, they darkened it like two or three F-stops. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at the video, st uh, still the video, and then you look at the Blu-ray, it's a lot darker. It almost looks like they had a problem with like your brightness on your TV. Yeah, yeah. So people were like, what the hell are you doing? I didn't but, see anything. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem. But then, but, but then it says that this transfer was supervised with Tom Savini and Tom Savini's like this is the best transfer we could have ever got yeah. you know we're so happy A plus yeah so um, so that movie holds a very special place in my heart the remake of Night of the Living Dead and because of that it made me go revisit all these movies sure. and that's probably why I went and sought out Dawn Day and you know and then everything else no, but also sometime in the 80s there was Tales from the Dark Side which Romero had something to yeah. do with which would led to a movie that was originally, to my understanding, like kind of the conception of Tales from Dark Side. The movie was really to be like Creepshow 3. Okay. And then it just became Tales from Dark Side, the movie instead. And that's a great movie, too. You have, I think, Steve Buscemi's in that. You have Christian Slater's in that. You have... Um, Radon Chong. Radon Chong. You have... Uh, from what Commando fame. <laughs> you have the other guy um, who plays Ajax in The Warriors oh, is in yeah, that. Yeah. You have um, Buster Poindexter. Who, remember that guy? I oh, forget. yeah. David Johansson. Yeah, he's in it. You have the old man from Pritzi's Honor and like uh, Christmas... Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, a great cast, and that's another good one. Um, even... Um, 
Do we say Steve Buscemi? You have uh, what's Steve it? Buscemi, Julia same. Julia Moore's in that too in the state in the in the oh, same yeah, Steve yeah. Buscemi scene. So even though it's unrelated, that's another great anthology movie. Uh, but as we move forward, like you said, then the next thing he does, or even right before, is the second Tweed, collaboration Tweed with Lies, Dario yeah. Argento. Tweed Lies is kind of a. I, I think it's something that a lot of people forget or not, don't even. It's a blip on the radar. They don't yeah. even know. It was an anthology movie, and originally it was supposed to be, f- they were going to do four stories, and Carpenter, they wanted to do, Carpenter was going to do one, King, Stephen King was going to do one, and then Romero and Argento were going to do one, and then the idea was to do a uh, anthology movie based on the stories of, of Edgar Allan Poe, and it quickly just became, they did two stories, Two Evil Eyes, where Argento did one kind of uh, loosely based on the Black Cat and Romero did one uh, based on an updated version of... The cast of Voldemort? Is that the one where yeah. the gentleman dies mm-hmm. in the trance in Harlem? Or Yeah, that's, yeah I think yeah. that's the curious case of M. Voldemort might be the name yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. But it's definitely that one. Yeah. can't remember the exact title of it, uh, which we've talked about that story because of Vincent, on this cast there's before. a vincent price there in trilogy of terror one of the vincent price movies n- the non-comedic yeah corman movies that he did there's one of the stories is that where he plays the gentleman who uh basically the plot is that, like a guy's dying and he, and he he doesn't want to die of course and he has his wife so he brings an occultist over his house and in the original story it took place in an affluent area of harlem uh because you know you don't think of it now like oh that's yeah, real yeah. and the occultist or hypnotist hypnotizes the man before he dies but since he hypnotizes him like his soul is kind of in like in stasis in limbo yeah so the guy his body physically dies but he's still able to and then it becomes then you realize quickly that the hypnotist has ulterior motives and he wants to fuck with the guy and yeah, then yeah. so the updated version so of when that i is, originally saw it uh in the oh uh, and then special effects done again by tom savini special effects done again by tom savini and he has a little cameo as that crazy uh remember yeah, he gets arrested in the um the argento, in the argento one, yeah. section when i originally saw it it was probably one of the very first argento things i had ever seen uh, i was re- i rented it with uh another person that deanna and i went to film school with and it was one of the things that led to like my undying love for Dario Argento. Um, uh, Dario Argento is almost as important to me as a filmmaker as John Carpenter is. Yeah. Uh, and the, this was one of the first things I ever saw. And I and we t- did a, a, a podcast on Deep Red. On Deep Red. Rose, so if you yes. want to hear us talk about John Carp, uh, talk us talk about Dario Argento. Dario Argento. And then there was a special guest over thing where we i talked about with james from the wrong reel where we talked about the three mothers trilogy yes um kind of brief you know briefly discussed the three movies of uh, suspiria inferno and mother of tears but um i saw that and i really didn't like at the time i really didn't like the romero yeah half um and, and I, I haven't seen it since then and i just absolutely fell in love with the Argento side. And even when I bought a copy of it and I, and I owned it, I only ever would watch the Ar- Argento half. And in the Argento what, half has Harvey Keitel. Has Harvey in it. Keitel. And it is just so bizarre. Yeah. He uh, takes like a, like a butcher uh, <laughs> knife to like the freaking pan, right? Or like, yeah. It's, 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 the, just, the, it's hard to explain, but it is, it has the, one of the great weird performances of cinema. Like, almost on par with like Michael Moriarty and cue the wing serpent. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it's just a completely far out, bizarre, strange movie. This little short 
film of of the. Of you're saying Kaitel has that performance. Yeah, that's Hart Kaitel's performance, and then that movie is just so out there. Yeah, um, and I just absolutely love it. So I never really liked the Argento one, but when I read, when I was revisiting these films, Argent, uh, Romero's films for um, the Wrong Real podcast, I rewatched the the entirety. You blew the of dust off Two Evil Eyes, and enjoy the romero half uh not as much as i i love the argento half but much more so because by that point i was more familiar with creep show and it's much more of kind of a little homage to creep show it's got adrian barbeau it has uh tom atkins it has what who ag marshall who did we just say is that ag marshall yeah yeah he's in it so it's got all these people that were in creep show and it feels much more like I mean, not as strong as Creepshow, but it feels much more like an episode, like a vignette yeah. from Creepshow. And so for that reason, I kind of enjoyed it a lot better. And what he does is he updates it and turns it more into like a film noir femme fatale uh, insurance scam oh, yeah. where she's got a, and even the, I believe even the, the guy that plays her husband, who's like on his deathbed, is also in Creepshow. Uh, and so she's just waiting. She's like the hot wife who married him. She was a stewardess. She marries this rich guy and she's basically waiting for him to die so that they they can get the inheritance. But then there's this, and she's having an affair with his doctor, Mm. this young guy. Uh, And there's this idea like, even if he dies, it's going to take forever to get the inheritance. So they hypnotize him to sign over to take to his lawyer, who's E.G. Marshall, like start giving her money now. Uh, so they do that under hypnotist and then he, and then uh, under hypnotism and then he dies. And then it's that story from Before Edgar Allan Poe and how they're kind of haunted by <laughs> the body that has the soul kind of stuck in limbo. Yeah. Uh, and it was much more enjoyable to me uh, now, 20 years, almost 20 years later. And as well as the special effects are phenomenal in it. Like, you know, the, cause the, the, the makeup effects yeah. of the guy are great. And, uh, and Sabina's makeup effects in the black cat and the black cat are great too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we should revisit that one at some point, too. You brought up, uh, we, we, I know we glossed over Creepshow, but I also, to, to mention Creepshow with the the little vignette of uh, Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson is, I think, I, it's one of my favorite Leslie Nielsen performances, and he's playing yeah. straight. Yeah. You know, it's really, uh, even though each one is kind of semi-comedic and comic booky. Yeah. They're all it's very kinda, there's good. There's a campiness to them. Yeah. But it fits within the world of what yeah. they're doing. And it's really, it's still quite good. And, and I think Leslie Nielsen's amazing. And, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people now only know him in his, you know, comedy roles as the Naked Guns or whatever. But, you know, he yeah. does have a role of a whole career before that, you know, from going back to Forbidden Planet and episodic television in the 70s and 80s. But it's a great, you know, I, I love that. And that actually genuinely scares. I remember I had a girlfriend who was a beach going girl and we watched that and she it freaked her out. The idea of being buried alive on this beach, you know, like the whole she's like, oh, my God, it's so disturbing. <laughs> and it quite yeah, is, you know, yeah. it, it is, you know, it's, it's good for Stephen King to be able to come up with these really bizarre and great yeah, stories. Yeah. So, um and then after you get the dark half, and then you get into, uh, I guess, the, then you do the Bruiser, right? Would be the next film he does? Well, Bruiser might have been, I'm trying to think if that was before or land. after Land. Because then you <coughs> they, then they end up remaking Dawn of the Dead. 
and that's huge and crazy and then you know that for me i was never a fan of fast moving zombies and then i saw dawn of the Dead. i said oh okay maybe it's possible maybe yeah. if they die and rigor hasn't set in yet maybe they can run around and then that <laughs> made me go back to watch i always kind of pan the return of the living dead films mm-hmm. i went back and watched the, the the original return of the living dead and i found out like you said i had this whole new love for return of the living sure, dead yeah. because it's so uh, i kind of miss the the satirism or the the satire sure you know and all that you know well, the, that's kind the, of the beautiful thing about know? it is that so many movies you know you kind of rediscover so you can never really just write off a film that's the problem you see a movie 20 years ago you know, that was so stupid so yeah, hokey yeah. so whatever you really deserve and to, then you're reluctant yeah understandably so to revisit it but then often not always but I find uh, there's been so many films, films that I did love that yeah. I appreciate in a whole new way or films I didn't really care for that you have a new that now for. I kind of like. Yeah. You know? And that certainly for me was the return of the living dead. The first one, I've always liked the second one because it was a comedy. And then the third one is just really bizarre. It's, it's, it's good, but it's weird. Uh, but the first one was just, and then I ended up going to like uh, Alamo draft house to see it, like a, a print of it. And it was just, I loved it even more seeing an old print. And then, you know, the sad story, the woman yeah. who's in it, who's like, you know, she's uh, hard up for money now, and there's a, like a GoFundMe oh, yeah. campaign for the the girl who plays the uh, the really hot zombie in the cemetery scenes, the redheaded. So uh, I got to see Creepshow in a, a print in a midnight screening a year or two ago. Oh, I feel like I saw that too as well at, at like an Alamo Draft House a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, it might have been the same print, just making its yeah. round around the area. They you, were doing at the IFC Center. They were doing a complete Stephen King in cinema retrospective and uh they were doing it midnight shows friday and saturday for like months yeah because it wasn't like just one you know playing them all within a span of a month they was two like two films a week so it went for a long time yeah and uh, there was other ones i wanted to go see like silver bullet or even christine but i don't think christine was a print really wanted to see silver bullet and i regret not going to it uh but I did get to see Creepshow. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Can, yeah. I, I, I now have a memory of seeing Creepshow too at Alamo Draft House. And that was, a, a, again, seeing these movies when they're prints, even how bad quality or shitty qu- quality yeah. the print is, it's amazing seeing them on the screen like that. Uh, so when Dawn of the Dead comes out, the remake in 2005 or so, it completely brings this resurgence that, you know, like you said, Resident Evil kind of started that. But yeah. then with the video game. And then game, it was like 28 Days. Then 28 Days Later, later comes, and that's a, a, another kind of unique take on the Undead's genre. And it was like, it's not the... the yeah, there's I, when I saw that originally, too, I was like, ah, it's just kind of a rehash of Romero. And I was yeah. like, but they're not zombies. Yeah, they're, they're kind of... I was of like, yeah, but like themat, the themes, what's going on is yeah, very so, Romero. Yeah, very much. Yeah, certainly until the end when they go to see uh, the first Doctor Who, John Eccleston. Well, yeah. he's not the first one. He's the... The 10th, 19th, I forget what Doctor is, but the reboot of the series, him at the end when they're held up at that manor house, it's all... It's very day. Yeah, yeah, it's very day of the dead. Even Dawn of the Dead, you know, they're trying to get away and they're held up in the guy's apartment. And it's, you know... So when the remake, Zack Snyder's remake of Dawn comes out, mind-blowing, and uh, that got me... You know, that started this whole rejuvenation with The Walking Dead and all these dead movies. So then when Land comes out, we went and saw Land at the theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was disappointed when I saw it. I, I have much more an affinity for his night, dawn, and day. Yeah. And then I haven't seen Land since the theater. So maybe it is worth yeah. a rewatch, like you're yeah, saying. It's, you know, you know? You're still not going to love it the yeah. way you love the other ones. But it's it, it's better than you probably remember. Yeah. I mean, being. and then I love the, the themes in it, too, as well as, you know, I'm a huge sucker for 
Dennis Hopper and you know I like the idea of them having the memories and there's a they're kind of almost rising up against these uh, corporate elitists and again we have the idea of yeah. the, the you know the rich people keeping the poor people down you know so mm. and then uh, I saw Diary of the Dead and I yeah. actually liked Diary of the Dead because well, it was Pru- like Prusers definitely before that one yeah and Prusers just a tough film to explain now Bruiser I've never seen Bruiser's it's really interesting yeah um, and it's it's about the uh, in a nutshell it's about this guy who works for in fashion for a fashion magazine but he's kind of like in the business aspect of it and he gets shit on all the time and uh, he ends up developing because it's like nobody ever sees him kind of thing and he's getting shit on by his girlfriend is cheating on him with his boss and he doesn't know it at first but he's just like he's kind of like got this crappy life and uh, there's this artist that's going to do these things where they, they take like casts of their face and it's like these white masks uh, and it's and he puts it on and then something happens like he wakes up the next day with his face just looking like this blank that, white that's face. very much like um, there's a uh, Twilight Zone episode where the old man is dying and his his evil kids want his money so he says if you if you want my money you have to put these masks on and the masks represent what they are so yeah, you're yeah. vain so you're ugly and then it, you have to wear them till midnight and there's special masks he got from like New Orleans or something and then when he dies you're saying yeah. they take the masks off and then oh I'm all uh, ugly now you know, he, yeah. wakes, he wakes up and he's got this blank expressionist white face mask face and it's like it's almost like uh you think of like the invisible man, like how like a per- or hollow man, you know, like how like a regular person, how they could be corrupted by the idea that they're not seen, you know, like like an average person, good person, how that how this kind of power of not having visibility can corrupt them. Uh, it's kind of like if 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 nobody can see who you are because you have this face this motionless face and even when you look at yourself in the mirror you can't see emotion like how that would affect your psyche and then he becomes you know like a killer kind of um so it's a very bizarre kind of weird movie but totally worth checking yeah but i've heard a lot of good things about it yeah because that's a film that i think a lot of people haven't seen yet yeah uh and it's certainly not his best but it's a film it's an interesting film yeah totally worthwhile um and diary of the dead I saw at a special sc- preview screening with a Q&A with George Romero. Oh, wow. So you've been actually... I was, I've been within yeah, 20 feet of you're George breathing, Yeah, you were <laughs> breathing the same air as him. And uh, Packed House. We should have led with that then. At this, we were hiding the, burying the lead here. Uh, packed House. And I... Dion probably knows this about me. I am not good with... The, one of the reasons why I don't like like the found footage type movies is because I'm not good with motion sickness yeah and watching them they make me sick yeah <laughs> like uh blair witch blair witch yeah. like i was um, like it yeah, disturbed I, you for nothing that had to do with the movie yeah, i was gonna like throw <laughs> up like halfway through that movie so i went to see this diary of the dead and i'm sitting packed house middle of a row so i can't even leave yeah you know huge thing on 42nd street here it's times square giant theater by the time the movie's done i'm like sweating bullets like I'm like soaked because I, I feel like I'm, I'm like dizzy and I feel like I'm gonna throw up and because I'm not feeling well I'm just like sweating profusely I'm like trying to like not pass 
I just felt so awful. And then George Romero comes out and does this Q and A, and like I'm, I want to be there for it, but uh, and let's say uh, uh, to watch it, but I also kind of want to leave because I'm feeling so awful. But I can't leave because I'm in the middle of the. <laughs> You're road. the only one getting up. Excuse me. <laughs> so me. unfortunately, my experience with Diary of the Dead is not. It's it's a bittersweet one, yeah, I yeah. should say. Uh, um, I found that really interesting. I mean, the idea of uh, living within a world much like Walking Dead is now, where you don't have dead zombies or whatever that idea so when it starts happening as a found footage film it's kind of interesting and then it's also I found quite disturbing like at the end when they have like all the dead in the under pool they're in the underground pool and all that's all very messed up and then after that he did um, survival of the dead which I didn't care for as much Um, that's the one that's probably the only Romero movie I haven't seen yet yeah and it's and in I watched it, and he even has like almost had an exclaim an exclaimer at the top of it. He says, "Hey, you know, we made a movie. We had a good time. <laughs> we hope you like it as much." And it's very much yeah, like tongue yeah. in cheek. It's very almost down the road of creep show, where it's not. It's almost not taking itself seriously, and um, even to the point where like if there's an explosion, there's like you know the guy will have like black soot on his face afterward. You know that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. So it's a very odd pairing. You know, so uh, it's definitely interesting. I guess if you're a purist, you should check it out, but. I certainly have a fondness for the first three, Night, Dawn, and Day, you know, and the next three, you know, I'm sure they have fans, but I think out of land, survival, and uh, 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 diary, I probably like diary the yeah. best, you know. And then there was all this talk not too long ago where it was like Romero wrote a, a zombie book or he, he was he was doing something else. He was doing Ro- he was doing Road of the Dead, and from what I had seen, he had just come out this, this week or last week with a poster for it, a teaser poster, and it was supposed to be... Mad Max meets Fast and the Furious were in a world like Land of the Dead where you have in a world like Land of the Dead (laughs) you have rich people who've made zombies so here's another movie it's in pre-production or production Uh, directed it was going to be the first movie he didn't direct of this of the kind of series but he would have written it or produced yeah and and the idea is being that these rich elitists like the Dennis Hoppers are now (laughs) the Dennis Hoppers of the world world, (laughs) have now used the idea of what they learned in Day of the Dead to domesticate these zombies and they've got them well enough where they can drive and then it's this 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 race that they watch to entertain themselves exactly yeah and also uh, Romero has done a couple issues of comics he did one a couple years ago which was a run I forget who by but it was a dead related thing where it was a he wrote it and it was illustrated by somebody else maybe a five issuer where like a girl uh, it had vampires and zombies in it and the girl's a zombie but she's self aware explores that idea kind of a thing so that's definitely worth checking out if you're into comics and then also they did a couple adaptations of the Night of the Living Dead movie, which are phenomenal. And they did a prequel yeah. in comic book form, which I have, which is really good. And it's also it kind of shows you what happens at the diner before that Ben is talking about in the original yeah. Night of the Living Dead and all that kind of stuff. It's it's quite horrifying. Because then the last issue, like the last panel is like the first panel of the movie. You know what I mean? Some of them are hard to find, but if you're a novelization fan, there are some good novelizations of uh, Night and Dawn. Yeah. And there's a good one by Martin, and he might have even like written the Dawn one. Wow! Um, and he has he wrote like a postscript for the Martin one, 
but he like, he might have actually written either The Night or The Dawn. Certainly John Russo probably wrote The, the Night one or yeah. co-wrote it with somebody. And as you said, they just re-released the comic book adaptation of Creepshow, which is funny because Creepshow is a comic book in the movie, so it's, yeah, they yeah. go hand in hand, which is very cool. Yeah. So well, it's further reading. Yeah, we kind of, you know, I mean, I'm sure some of these movies will end up being... Um, yeah, we'll probably do get, full episodes yeah. on, on at least... A handful of these, yeah, but if we've not creep show and at least one of the the dead, the movies, dead movies, if not so, something <laughs> Maybe else. Martin, Night Riders, yeah, exactly. I'm sure something Martin will get. Will get yeah, I'm sure we'll get through. A he was a just he was a filmmaker that uh, was very important to us and um, to I think cinema as well. I mean, look at oh well, yeah, you well, know what's happening now with you know. I mean, you know, it's it, it is something to say that he's invented a genre that is in full steam now. I mean, I know. was sure, like I was sad when Wes Craven died and I even dedicated my book to Wes Craven yeah. but uh, the truth was that Wes Craven was never like that huge of an influence on me yeah uh, sure there are films of his that I love and, and stuff but uh, and Romero was definitely more so not as influential to me as as some other filmmakers but uh, especially in recent years, I've become a, a huge appreciator of what he did, uh, not just for horror and the zombie genre, but as just an artist and a filmmaker. Um, and like I said, his for me, my love for his films is very much attached to my friendship with Dion. So it's an important thing. Uh, for me in that way too. Yeah, we really needed to, we really efforted this to get us to, to yeah. run us together. <laughs> it was hard for us to yeah. figure out where to find time. In the to middle do of this. the week, um, you know, our, both our day jobs clashing to try to get time to have Blake's mom run over, and now we're up in my mom's attic as hot as balls <laughs> up here, and you know I can't get the, the ceiling fan heat. to work. Yeah, I don't know how to. T- if we turn the ceiling fan on, you know, it'd be so fast, loud. You're gonna hit your head on a, on a on fucking a, on nail. A na- on a nail that's sticking out yeah. inexplicably. <laughs> because it puts, they use too long nails and they put the freaking shingles on, you know, so. On they're all rusty too, <laughs> for Christ's sake. Gotta sakes. get tetanus. Yeah, and you got the and stuff's dropping in the background here. From I don't know if we have like maybe a squirrel living up here. I don't know what's going the on. Fiberglass insulation. Yeah, you can't touch it. You're gonna yeah, get itchy. pink panther for insulation. Then you have to watch where to walk because you're gonna come through the ceiling. <laughs> and my parents are sleeping, and I think we're over their bedroom. So um, yeah, you know, we just wanted to make mention to him because he certainly, you know, uh, like you said, he's not. He wasn't like a uh, uh, the a huge influence on me but he was a big big influence on me because I had such an affinity for yeah. dead movies growing up zombie f- horror fil- films and and uh I was a big horror guy growing up, you know, when we met, you know, mm-hmm. I was into like, that kind of a thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. So it was it's definitely something to, to Well, Dion was about. certainly the first like real zombie lover that I had met. And so much of my appreciation for the zombie movies stems from my friendship with Dion and that stems from George Romero. Yeah. So uh, he will be missed and it's in like, you know, I, I know there's a lot of tributes pouring in this week uh, from all people, Tom Savini and, and all other people. So. Yeah. And uh, it's sad, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, I guess his death was sudden and maybe he kept uh, his ailing health out of the limelight, you know. We know he was a, just like John Carpenter, he was a big smoker. Big smoker. Yeah. He's one of those guys you never saw without a cigarette like in an interview and stuff like that. So, I heard it was lung cancer. I hope, you know, I don't know if that played into it, but, you know, it's sad that we lose somebody. It's uh, 77 is a young age nowadays, you know, so it is a shame, you know, but he will definitely be missed and he will certainly be missed here, you know, so um, we'll see in a couple days for a regular installment. We have a great uh, cast coming up in a couple days uh, and uh, we hope you like this impromptu thing and we'll see you soon. Later. All right, Vince, hit him in the head, right between the eyes.
Good shot. Okay, he's dead. Let's go get him. That's another one for the fire.